0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, My Fair Lady in Space!
1: My name is Gepwin and welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review critique show that's putting the humanities back into science fiction. I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr.
0: Izix. Hi.
1: And this week was bad, not great. Most (laughs) one of the... I know that there's a more misogynist episode coming up, so I don't want to call it the most misogynist thing, but it's one of the most misogynist ones we've seen so far.
0: Get into that what the why of that uh once we actually get into the episode here, but suffice to say it's, it's like ye, jeepers, guys. Really? <laughs> so this episode is called Helen of Troyus. Rhymes with Helen of Troy, kind of. It
1: does. I don't know <laughs> why it does, because it's it's not. I'm
0: not kicking off any Trojan wars here, it just you know, other stuff's happening. <laughs>
1: It was written by John Meredith Lucas, who also wrote Patterns of Force, which was the Nazi episode. Whoops. (laughs) They have one more thing coming up.
0: I believe they also directed this one.
1: Yes, written and directed by.
0: Which I believe is pretty rare for uh, original series Star Trek.
1: As far as I've seen, I don't remember it being noted before, but I didn't look specifically. All right, we've only got... A couple of guest stars I'm going to list. We have three people who were doing guard duty, but they were difficult to track down and they don't show up for a lot of the episodes. So the uh, main people we have are France Nguyen is playing Elan. She is a French actress and model who was very active around this time, but was actually pretty notable for later becoming a psychological counselor. She won a Woman of the Year Award for counseling work, was in several life life magazine articles just basically after this she became a very well-known psychological counselor uh, focusing on women who had gone through trauma
0: well we'll get to that in the episode
1: <laughs> and jay robinson is playing ambassador petri he is an american actor who got his start in broadway and stage productions his first film role was as emperor Caligula. In the 1953 film, The Robe, and later its sequel, Demetrius and the Gladiators.
0: Uh, Roman Emperor. He kind of looks, you know, that looks like a kind of spooky guy, which is kind of what what a lot of Caligula's in film end up being like, so, you know. Yeah,
1: I mean, he does look pretty stereotypically old movie Roman Emperor guy. Yeah. (laughs) Because he was that. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) We found our emperor. Okay, uh, there's, we've got 15 of them now, but we keep hiring new ones because it's cheaper.
1: <laughs> Alright, I guess we should jump in. I don't know how long this is going to be, and I don't know what we're going to talk about with it, but we may as well get started.
0: We're on a secret mission to the Telon ship, or system. We picked up an ambassador from Joyce. Is taking him to Elias. This is kind of boring. Why is it so secret? <laughs>
1: Yes, the Enterprise has been ordered to the Telon system, which is a border system claimed by both the Federation and the Klingon Empire, with orders to take Ambassador Petri of Troyes to their rival planet, Ellis.
0: Wait a moment. So we got a border dispute between the Federation and the Klingons. And the Federation has claimed this this system, but they already have native people living here.
1: No one explains how this works. Yeah. The, okay. <laughs> the, the system is under Federation control, but the Klingons also claim it as their territory. But the people here, I guess, get no say. Fair enough. <laughs> Kirk, McCoy, and Spock are on their way to the transporter to receive the Elosian delegation. According to Spock, the Elosians are vicious, arrogant people. But creepy old man McCoy goes, oh, but the Elosian women have a power over men that drives them wild.
0: Ah. We know you're horny, McCoy. Chill
1: they joined the ambassador who's actually a proper alien with green skin and white hair and things
0: which i, I i'm glad they they have more more actual aliens aliens uh, here but it's pretty clear they're only doing it because the rest of the actors that you know from the other planet are are, are not in you know, full makeup so got to differentiate them somehow <laughs> yeah it's
1: just to give you a little bit of uh easy to easy to tell but in, in earlier seasons they would have just put them in different outfits so Yes. <laughs> so they beam aboard three large men who secure the transporter room in preparation for their leader to beam aboard, and they all kneel and they beam aboard their dolman, who is a woman in skimpy clothes.
0: Now, I will say that, that everyone, including the guards, look fabulous, uh, and their, their outfits look nice and clean, so clean you could probably eat off of them, which is appropriate since they're made out of table mats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. <laughs>
1: This <laughs> that they just beamed aboard is Elan of not of Troyus. She's on her way to Troyus. Yeah. Kirk, of course, sees the woman and decides that he's gonna kneel too.
0: I guess it's to be polite? Eh?
1: They attempt to continue on pretty much normally, but Elan and her guards are quite insistent on her being in charge and that they all need to pay deference to her, and she's like the all-powerful whatever ruler person. Kirk's a bit peeved about this, but the ambassador wants them to play along for the time being for the sake of their diplomatic mission.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, this this ambassador guy, you know, he seems to know his stuff when it deal, uh, comes to dealing with these folks, right?
1: Ah, for five minutes or so. <laughs> Once away from Alan Petri tells Kirk that they have this super secret plan that they're going to take a back to Troyus for her to marry their leader. I don't know why this is so secret because it's just a big old political marriage. It's going to be a freaking ceremony and everything,
0: but it has to be secret because I guess they're worried about Klingon spy on the ship or something. But
1: they never mentioned it before. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is going to bring peace between their two warring worlds because they have sufficiently developed the technology to completely destroy each other. One would think once you're getting to the planet, to the point of interplanetary war, you probably had that already, but all right.
0: Well, it's, it's power projection, not just power. <laughs> you have to put it on a rocket, too. That goes much further than just on the other side in your own world.
1: On the way, it is Petri's job to teach her manners so that she can better integrate into their society. So he wants Kirk to go to Troyus very, very slowly.
0: Okay, then. So if this was part of the whole secret mission thing why are you now sort of surprising them with this here that and also didn't try to handle this in a different way why why do you have to delay the the trip here guy
1: yeah you would think that they would know this because if they're like you have to go on a mission to ferry someone from this planet to this planet which you know at warp speeds is going to take y'all five minutes but by the way you're going to be out there for two months
0: congrats you're uh your other missions, they are, they're getting pushed off now. Don't worry about it.
1: <laughs> but no sooner are they underway than Kirk receives news that Elan is unhappy with her quarters, which are apparently her's quarters that she gave up for the diplomats.
0: Yeah, saves on building new sets. Kirk goes to play diplomat to,
1: I don't know, everyone. He's bad at playing diplomat, but I guess he's in charge, <laughs> so he has to. He arrives to find Elan... Throwing things at Petri, who was just trying to give her gifts from his people, including a prized royal necklace that he wants her to wear.
0: Oh, this necklace seems pretty spiffy, um, with all, like, the crystals and things on it. I wonder if that's important.
1: Kirk tells Elan to stop and tells her to act civilized. They use the word civilized a lot.
0: She's in a situation where she's generally unhappy with everything and probably doesn't want to be there. Maybe you can stop patronizing her. <laughs>
1: No, why would they do that?
0: Hmm. Moving on.
1: Back outside, Petri is very fed up and he says he can't complete his mission because she's upset. He doesn't want his leader to marry this kind of person. Kurt goes, get over it. You're on a peace mission, you moron.
0: Yeah, so you go from being an ambassador and very diplomatic to just kind of an ass. All right.
1: This was kind of the only good part of the entire episode is when he goes, you don't have to like each other. You just have to stop killing each other.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's a good message, you know.
1: A little while later, Spock has detected a strange reading that it may be a sensor ghost or some sort of echo thingy, but they're not sure. And their equipment seems to be working fine. So they got a mysterious something or other out there.
0: Wait a moment. I'm having flashbacks to Journey to Babel. Orions, it's got to be them, right?
1: Yeah, sure. More Orions. (laughs) So they'll definitely show up again. <laughs> Alan and her men go on a tour of engineering, and she's rude to Scotty, and Kirk tells her to stop being rude to Scotty, so she's rude to Kirk, and then Kirk tells her to stop being rude, and they all just get, you know, more fed up. This is the whole section where we're setting her up as an unpleasant person to be around,
0: I guess. Like, okay, you're just kind of rude to everybody, and yeah, so I guess we have to not like you now.
1: Then their sensor ghost moves in closer, and it turns out to be a Klingon ship. And it started following them,
0: just kind of hanging out, you know, over there.
1: <laughs> also, apparently, there's some sort of problem in Elan's quarters, and Kirk shows up to find Petrie, who's been stabbed in the back.
0: Petrie, what did you do this time?
1: He lives, but he's in bad shape, and he's pretty mad at Kirk for suggesting that he keep trying to do his job.
0: <laughs> okay, Petrie, you might be bad at being an ambassador. But you still, uh, the question, I, I guess the question I have is, is there anyone we could maybe replace you with? Is, is, are you the best your planet has to offer as far as, like, being nice to people and trying to do whatever your crazy mission is?
1: No wonder they're all at war.
0: <laughs> yep. <laughs> Everyone's bad at this.
1: Chapel asks Petri why, if the Elasian women are all mad and angry and ornery like this, do the men like them so much? It turns out that they have a chemical in their tears that forces men to be attracted to them if they get cried on.
0: So some sort of crazy pheromone or something, eh?
1: Yeah, something. Patrick wants to keep being all petulant and weird and doesn't want to complete his mission at all, so Kirk decides that now it's up to him.
0: Well, I guess uh, there's a challenge that Kirk has to uh, uh, rise up to and uh, overcome. He's going to uh, teach this lady... All the, the the banners of a planet he's not from.
1: <laughs> Kirk confronts Elaine about how she still needs to learn manners. And she goes, no, I got rid of that issue. Says, no, you, you killed the teacher. You didn't get rid of having to learn the thing.
0: <laughs> you you still have a responsibility to this peace process, you know, just FYI.
1: <laughs> so he's now going to teach her. And he tries to reason with her for a bit. You know, then hey, you all are military people. You must understand discipline and orders and all those things.
0: So maybe we should do some of that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And then she ignores him once and he goes, fine. You put your food on your plate and you drink out of a glass like a normal person.
0: Kirk doesn't have much patience here.
1: She throws a knife at him, but unfortunately
0: misses. Gotta work on that aim. You were able to hit Petri, but I I, I know Kirk's a higher level character, but come on.
1: Yeah, she really, really needs to aim better. Just the whole time. My girlfriend (laughs) and I were watching this together and Kirk is being such an ass. Like stab him. Stab him. Stab him in the face.
0: <laughs> it's, your, it's your chance. Another oh, missed opportunity.
1: <laughs> we see one of the Elasian guards sneaking into engineering. He goes dun. in and kills one of the engineers and starts to sabotage a thing.
0: Yeah, no, he, like, he hugs them to death or something. Then... Yeah,
1: he touches him gently on the face and the guy just falls over dead.
0: <laughs> well, that was easy. Um, uh... Maybe we should conquer the Federation next.
1: (laughs) So Kirk goes back to talk to Alan again for her next manners lesson. She won't let him in. So Spock appears and stuns the guards outside of her room, commenting that he doesn't know how Kirk was able to predict that she wouldn't let him inside the room. And Kirk goes, well, Vulcan women are logical, and they're the only ones.
0: (laughs) Uh, Kirk... I think stabbing might be too good for you at this point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Kirk, who you will remember, has actually knocked out guards outside of the room to force his way in, Mm -hmm. is upset when Alain doesn't want him there.
0: Oh, big surprise, Kirk.
1: She tries to stab him again. He unfortunately is able to grab her and restrain her and threatens to spank her.
0: This seems to get her attention, though.
1: She locks herself in the bathroom, yelling that she doesn't have anything to learn from him. And he goes, fine, well, then I'll get someone else for you to learn things from. And then she very suddenly goes, no, maybe you, I can learn something. Can you teach me how to get people to like me? And then she starts crying and Kirk wipes her tears away and gets all confused and kisses her. And then she asks about this spanking thing again.
0: Yep. She, uh, I think she has the thoughts for you, Kirk.
1: They are later interrupted by a her and Spock calling because there's a signal coming from inside engineering that's being sent to the Klingon ship.
0: Hmm. Main screen turn on. It's you. They send a security
1: team as Kirk runs out of Alan's room to meet them. There they find the dead guard and her guard. He's got a Klingon transmitter. He refuses to tell them what's go- what he was up to until they threaten him with a Vulcan mind meld and he grabs one of the guard's phasers and kills himself.
0: So I guess we'll never properly understand what his motivations were. Also, it was it's also kind of a violation to just be mind melded without your permission, you know. One would think so. Yes.
1: Scotty gets to work figuring out what was going on and what this guy would have killed himself in order to protect. Hmm. Back in Alliance Quarters... She explains to Kirk that the guard was in love with her and was mad that she's being sent in a political marriage instead of being able to marry him, and that's probably why he was upset and doing things.
0: So hopefully whatever he was up to isn't going to get everyone killed, because that would just get kind of uh, counterproductive. So he used to sabotage the mission, but, you know, keep the Enterprise from reaching its destination, so... You know the the wedding, you know, deadline. Whenever it comes and passes, and uh, they're not there for it. Yeah, that that but She would doesn't want to be there.
1: She doesn't want to be at the wedding deadline anyway, because now she wants to be with Kirk. And she's like, "Hey, what if you use your ship to just destroy Troyus, and then we can take over the system and rule it together?"
0: Well, that'd be pretty sweet, Kirk. Well, uh, you, know, you want to be a, a mass murderer with me? I know, I know you have it in you, but I, I just want to have to ask it explicitly here.
1: Spock and McCoy interrupt. McCoy tells Kirk that about the tear thing. They start working on an antidote, but before they can do anything, the Klingons have moved into attack.
0: Well, um, I guess we got to fight the Klingons now.
1: Yep. All of a sudden. Kirk is about to jump to warp for the fight, but then Scotty informs him that he's just discovered the antimatter has been sabotaged. And if they go to warp, the ship's going to explode, but without warp power, they don't stand a chance fighting the Klingons.
0: Hmm, So they're kind of sitting ducks at this point. Hmm.
1: But the Klingons just make a close pass and don't actually fire. They were just trying to force them to go to warp in order to trigger the bomb.
0: Ah, so the Klingons are obviously in on this evil plan. But then
1: Scotty informs them that not only is there a bomb, but all of their dilithium has been fused and there's no way to repair it, so they're basically SOL. Well,
0: um, it's been nice knowing you, everybody, but uh, you know, Kirk here, go down with the ship, everyone else get in the skate pods.
1: Elaine has been following Kirk around, which he finds distracting because she was just standing around on the bridge during all of this and things. So he sends her to sickbay to help McCoy. Once there, Petri is still upset about his stabbing and starts going, oh, well, we're all going to die anyway. Why are you here? We're going to die. How much? How long do you think before we're going to die, doctor? We're going to die.
0: Petri, I think you're uh, a little little bit of a, a, a panic prone person, aren't you?
1: Now the Klingons, having failed to destroy the ship in the way they wanted, order that they surrender to them unconditionally. Unconditional surrender. Give up the Enterprise. Prepare to be boarded, etc.
0: All right, uh, General Grant. Um, Do we want to surrender? No. Okay. We won't.
1: (laughs) Kirk tries to stall, but there's really not much that he can do because they don't have enough power to even fire their weapons, so he just has to sit there until their shields run out.
0: So um, I guess we're just going to have to try to not die.
1: In sick bay, Petri, I guess, decides to mend some fences because they're all going to die anyway. So he's like, here, we're all going to die. Will you just take the stupid necklace already?
0: And she's like, oh, I guess.
1: She actually just says, all you ever talk about is duty. And then it cuts to the bridge where she shows up wearing the necklace.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> so I guess it worked.
0: I guess. Yeah. <laughs> she
1: came to the bridge because she wants to die next to Kirk, apparently.
0: Well, uh, I guess if she does have the hots for him, that would kind of make sense. But uh, yeah,
1: (laughs) the Klingons begin firing because they have refused to surrender. But Spock picks up an energy reading coming from Elan. Uh, They ask about this necklace she's wearing. She goes, oh, this it's made of junk rocks. It's basically worthless. These things are everywhere. They go, wait, this is dilithium.
0: Dun, dun, dun. That's why the Klingons want this system.
1: Yeah, because it's full of. A rare but super common mineral, I guess.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's very common on this, these couple planets here, uh, but nowhere else.
1: <laughs> they give Scotty the necklace he's able to, just in time, shove it into the warp engine so that they get enough power to disable the Klingon ship and head for Troyus.
0: Whee! The day is saved, thanks to necklaces.
1: For some reason, Alan is now calm, not angry, and willing to go down to the planet and do the political marriage. But she's like, oh, Kirk, would you really let me go down and marry another man even though we love each other? He goes, yep. And then she leaves.
0: Because remember, Kirk only has one true love.
1: Yeah, later, McCoy has come <laughs> up with an antidote for Kirk. But Spock goes, he doesn't need one. He already had the Enterprise.
0: Aw. <laughs> hmm. Oh, and Uh, Alon also gave uh, Kirk her, uh, her, her throwing dagger of plus one.
1: Oh. That's true. Yeah, he, she gave him a dagger that never shows up again the end (laughs) this is so ridiculous like like i understand the married to your job trope but i was talking to someone Mm -hmm. like every time they do this on the on this show it's like he is literally physically in love with the ship like he wants to have sex with the ship do you understand how much he wants to have sex with the ship and he only sleeps with women because he's upset that he can't actually have sex with the ship
0: uh, he, he's he's really into uh, very large ladies, <laughs> the size of starships, specifically this one. <laughs> Everyone has their interests, you know, and, and you know we 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 should not kink shame uh, Captain Kirk here, though it, though it is a little a little unsettling how it manifests throughout these series.
1: It's just weird how I I don't know if it's a time thing or what, but it's often supposed to not be. Such an amazing laudable thing for you to be married to your job to the point that you eschew all other human relationships.
0: Yeah, it's there there are I guess certain ways people work where that is less of a problem, but there but at the end of the day, if that's all you got, then you're you know, then you could potentially extract all human interactions from your life and still have your job and That's a very lonely sort of existence and not really healthy on the the mental uh, side of things.
1: It's not healthy. I mean, I guess they were trying to enforce it because this was the era in which office work and non-physical labor was becoming very, very common in the U.S. So you had to do this Mm -hmm. whole, you know, married to your job thing because you weren't actually producing anything of value. There's been a lot of talk about how when we switched over from like actual physical production that you did with your hands and had a product at the end of it to our more service-based uh kind of information age sort of working environment that we were transitioning to in the 60s and 70s uh that your removal from the actual things that you were making and the possibility that you actually weren't at any level involved in making an actual product, you were just doing the job to do the job. You had to develop a certain amount of loyalty to the process of the job itself, because you couldn't really take pride in your accomplishment the same way you could when you're making a product that you can look at.
0: I, I've i completed these 58 uh, accounts this last week. Um, they're not physical things I can pick up and look at so so how do I feel about my 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 labor so maybe i I'll, I'll change my perspective and and make it that this is something I love one hundred percent all the time by default, and there is nothing else in my life
1: yeah, you have to love it and if you look at how things are go- have been going over the last you know forty years or so they the idea that your job should just be the entirety of your life and you should have nothing going on outside of it is only beginning stronger and stronger the further into the information age we get
0: you know uh last couple jobs i I had one of the things i'm sort of made clear is that what when i leave the office here i'm 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 checking out so don't be pestering me off hours unless it's like an emergency and for the most part, they they were willing to do that until near the end. So.
1: <laughs> I've had two or three friends who work in various office environments. And when they started, they like, you know, left an hour or two after they were supposed to leave because they were finishing something up. And then the next day, their boss came to them and said, do you know how bad it looks to everyone when you leave early? Pardon?
0: <laughs> you know, we don't all have to suffer here, you know? <laughs>
1: Yes you do. If you don't suffer, what's going to make the other people at the office suffer? If they see that you're leaving only an hour after your shift is over, what's that going to do to morale?
0: But maybe improve because other people are not staying super late all the time either. <laughs> yeah, you know, but, but but you know, morale and, and you know, productivity are often com, uh, conflated like that, but they're not the same thing.
1: No. No, they're not. <laughs>
0: And in fact, you know, sometimes having actual morale, a.k.a. you're not working your employees to death, is better for that whole productivity in the long run, because you don't burn through your employees nearly as fast. And sure, on individual products or, uh, or, or you, know, you know, development times or whatever you're doing, uh, it, you know, it might be tempting to have that big crunch at the end, but afterwards everything slows down again and everyone's exhausted and it's almost impossible to get started on the next project. And so that starts lagging. And over time, either you have to replace all your employees or they kind of start leaving on their own. Because they're like, we're tired of this.
1: This is just a random anecdote that's like not particularly connected to the you know philosophy of jobs nowadays. But I have a friend who showed us a memo that she got from her work right before she decided to leave that job for pretty obvious reasons that said employees should not eat food at their desks, talk loudly, or laugh.
0: Um
1: no laughing in the office.
0: Okay, okay, I could kinda of understand no eating at your desk. Yeah. You know, if you, you know, if you want to keep a certain look to the office and for clients coming in or whatever. So you know they don't have like people dropping catch-up or something like that on their desk or, you know, mucked up the rugs. Talking loudly, okay. that Sometimes conversations still have to happen, though, especially in a work environment where there's collaboration of any sort. Laughing? What the hell? <laughs> really? <laughs> We've moved more and more into
1: this idea that when you're paying someone for their labor, you're not paying them for their labor because we've moved away from labor theory. You're paying them to physically be there and you own them for the amount of time that you're paying them to be there. So if they spend any second of their day doing anything that is not actively working, they are stealing from you.
0: Yeah, that's kind of BS. Uh, and, yeah, it's, it's very much sort of a slave mentality as far as, you know, it is. You know I guess a slaveholder mentality for the, for the, for the uh, employers. Where you are, you stop being people and you become property. And pro- you know, if, if property is not being as productive as you demand it to be, then that property needs to be repaired.
1: We've abstracted away from you know what work is for in this weird way now, like in modern time that we've we've gotten to this place where instead of work being, I have a thing that needs to get done, so do that thing. And because, you know, either it takes a lot of people to do or I don't have time to do it, I'm going to get someone else to do it and then I'm going to pay them in order to do this thing so that I don't have to. Instead, we've gotten to this thing that's just, you have a job. You have to do your job. And doing the job is the important thing. The actual products that come out of the job are secondary.
0: That's another reason I left my previous (laughs) jobs. Yeah, that's it's okay. It's like we we have this thing that we're trying to accomplish, this these these goals here, and if we just kind of don't, that's also okay. Like okay, so so what's the point?
1: I was having a discussion <laughs> with someone the other day, and they had this interesting point that we keep hearing in the news. Every time they talk about rich people and why we need so many businesses and corporations, whatever, they always use the term "job creators." But if you're creating a job, it's one that didn't exist before, so arguably it's something that no one really needed to do
0: you know the, 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 going back to you know economics one o one if there's no demand for a product, why create the product
1: so you have to create a bunch of jobs to like keep people busy basically
0: to uh you know you keep them from uh you know being, you know, horribly poor and possibly rioting. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I forget the theorist uh, offhand. I should have had it in front of me, but I wasn't thinking he would go down this particular rabbit hole. There's been a rise in what certain economic theorists have dubbed bullshit jobs. Yep. <laughs> where you have a system in which you are not allowed to not work. You have to have a job because you need to get paid because being paid is the only way that you can live. Mm -hmm. But we don't have enough stuff for people to actually do because we have improved our efficiency and productivity of each individual worker to the point that only a handful of people are needed to do all of the things that we need for hundreds of people to be able to live. So we invent random things for people to do that are unnecessary. And not only are they unnecessary, the people who are doing them know they're unnecessary i'm just which is one of the reasons that you have such low job satisfaction and high depression and like the amount of people who have office jobs where they know they're not actually accomplishing anything but they have to because otherwise they're not going to get paid
0: you have to and remember you have to still have to love your job
1: yes you have to love your job and you have to have loyalty to the company I've, like, everyone's seen these viral stories going around of people being fired over, you know, memes that they posted on Facebook about how they don't like their jobs.
0: You, you, even off the clock, you know, you are uh, subject to the, uh, the the whims of your employer like that.
1: Which is kind of going back to this very old, uh, at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, they had this idea. They got their factories together. This was one of the first times that you would have have to get a bunch of people together into a factory to do your kind of assembly line style work, especially in old textile mills, which were some of the original uh, industrial capitals. And you'd get a bunch of people.
0: Mass-producing fabrics.
1: And they would all live in your town and go to your church and have your food. You basically wouldn't pay them. You would give them a place to live and stuff to eat in exchange for them working for you. So you would basically get to control these people's entire lives.
0: And if you did pay them, you could offer company dollars as opposed to actual dollars.
1: And we later started moving away from that when we had a rise in kind of socialism coming in from Europe and some you know, unionization ideas. But there was still a massive fight against it. But it started to improve. And now it's going back the other way to the point where I was seeing actual articles last year people were writing about whether or not Amazon should start making its own money.
0: Uh i i i i've seen a few online currencies before uh like with like uh second life and things like that, but those are very self contained in their own universe sort of stuff amazon you don't own our universe just f y i yeah that's all it's all a little ridiculous and it's it's kind of frightening because once you sort of have this total control over your employees like this and that is becoming the you know, becomes the the full norm, and it very much right now is you can basically continue, you know, you can take the abuse that you're already uh, foisting on them right now and increase it as much as you like, because if they are one hundred percent reliant on the company in order to survive, they can you, know, you 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 can ask anything of them, you know, you know, short of you know uh, you know uh, you know uh, suicide, and sometimes even then, you know, it's like well. If you don't do this, everyone else is going to lose their jobs, so you better go into that reactor and uh, to turn the, the one thing here. Uh, good luck!
1: Well, what we have is a, by design, coercive system. Because the more you can mm-hmm. coerce people into requiring the work, like, we, we keep having this freedom of work choice and whatever idea floating around. But if you stop working... And you don't have like some amount of inherited family wealth or capital to back it up, you are basically it's basically illegal because you'll wind up being homeless. Which, while well, we say that's not illegal, everything that you have to do while homeless is illegal.
0: Like, well, you have no food, so where are you gonna eat? There might be someone in your area that can uh, you know uh, provide free food to the homeless, but if you don't got that, then dumpster diving and hoping for the best. Until someone says, hey, get off, you know, get out of there, otherwise I'll call the cops. And, well, if you're not fast enough, the cops still show up anyway, and suddenly you're in jail for the night, and uh, maybe you're going to be there for a while, maybe you'll be back on the street the next morning, and it just becomes a rough life, and suddenly everything you do to even just get by is something that is unallowed for you.
1: it has been getting to a point where even a a bit ago, because everything kind of got upended by current events, but... There was a time where they kept talking about how things for workers should start improving because we wound up with more workers or we wound up with like more jobs than there were workers, which is usually a time when you have to start offering better incentives to workers because they can more easily change jobs. Uh, But this wasn't really happening because we'd created such a system based on these controlling elements that people can't change jobs as easily because we've gotten so locked down and the the more you can't and the more you're stuck in the place, the worse they get to treat people, which is better for the company because they get to get more work out of someone for cheaper. But it's worse mm-hmm. for all of the people. It's necessarily going to do something bad in there somewhere. We don't know what people have been saying. The system's going to collapse for about 300 years and it keeps not. But something bad's going to happen to a lot of people.
0: It, uh, it keeps mutating and, and uh, to uh, counteract the, uh, the most recent uh, sort of counter to it.
1: And even now, especially right now, you're seeing think pieces and people on the news arguing that going out and having a few thousand people die is nothing as long as it keeps the economy going.
0: I don't really want to sacrifice my life or the life of my friends and family uh, so some guy can get more money.
1: Well, that is what's so interesting, because even on news sites that aren't that aren't actively saying we should do this. I keep hearing interview points where people say people are worried because they have to stay inside and can't work, and that's hurting the economy. And no, people aren't worried that they have to stay inside and it's hurting the economy. People are worried they can't work and that the system we have means that if you can't work, you can't feed yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah. The The economy is what you're worried about, well, Mr. Interviewed uh, uh, Guy there. But the people are actually worried about having a place to live people are worried about feeding themselves having basic medical care especially in the middle of a pandemic that's kind of important uh, people are worried about uh, their kids and uh, you know they, uh, their family members that are maybe not able to work even if they you know you know wanted to and that they are you know they are reliant on them and this isn't the economy it's their sustaining of their own livelihood their ability to even exist
1: and you have heard people directly say this but like We have enough food right now. We could feed Mm -hmm. everyone with it. Most of it is a supply and shipping issue because the food's not going where it needs to go. But we have enough that we could supply people with food. We We don't have enough medical care generally, which is part of the problem, but we could give people medical care as well because it's an emergency. Mm -hmm. But we have had politicians uh, come out and say, we can't and shouldn't do that because if we let people have good lives now, they will have no incentive to go back to their horrible, crappy, manipulative jobs later.
0: Maybe that would be a good thing.
1: (laughs) But then the entire system would collapse because the way that we have it set up now, you are completely dependent on low-level exploited workers at the very, very bottom of the system.
0: So maybe we should be moving to a system that isn't so exploitative so that, you know, people can live lives that don't suck.
1: But that would be upending the system. The yeah. people in charge have benefited <laughs> from the system, and they are in no hurry to upend the thing that is benefiting them and maintaining their power structure.
0: Ah, uh, so, uh, so uh, what are we going to get rid of those guys?
1: I don't know. Probably I, never, if well, history well, is any judge.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I'll, I'll give it some thought. <laughs>
1: okay, so should we move from depressing economic theory to misogyny?
0: Oh, uh, sure. We're, you know, we got one for one so far. Let's see if we get two for two. <laughs>
1: yeah. This episode hits so many marks. You have the woman who is first being criticized for not being womanly enough, and then later is being criticized for being too docile and womanly. Yeah. The whole thing is that she's not behaving like a proper woman because her manners are bad and she thinks she's in charge. Isn't that cute?
0: Well, on her own planet, she kind of is, apparently. Uh, I don't know what a dolman is, but, you know, she seems to be uh, commanding the respect of others around her. And she is used to being the one who tells other people what to do. So at the start of it, that's just kind of how she's used to her.
1: The entire way that they've demonstrated this, this is normal for her society. Like mm-hmm. all of her guards and things are like, why aren't you paying respect to the dolmen?
0: Like, yeah, I, I, I didn't know we needed to. I, we did not get a protocol book explaining these things. Uh, so so what do we do?
1: <laughs> but they're going to ignore it because they want her to act like them.
0: Mm-hmm. So you, you, you've you now joined our society. So we're going to force you as quickly as possible in order to to uh, follow our particular set of etiquettes.
1: Well, because she's uncivilized. And if you're uncivilized, you're allowed to do whatever the heck you want to someone who is uncivilized because they're not you know, part of your thing—civilizing people—is the pretext we have used for so many genocides.
0: You uh, by by not being part of our in-group and uh, being quote uncivilized. You are basically not a person in our eyes, and so we're going to be um, able to enact whatever we feel like in order to to change the state of affairs. And if you become civilized, the process for, on our definition, which could change over time depending on what our particular needs are uh yeah that's that's one option or if you all die that's another option or if you just labor perpetually under our our giant thumb here that's another option uh which one do you want to choose
1: and near the beginning they have her giving orders which she shouldn't be doing because she's a woman uh complaining about her quarters because they are too feminine eating without a knife and a fork oh the horror
0: i do that a lot
1: so she's she's acting <laughs> unfeminine in the beginning. They keep saying uncivilized and they keep saying that she needs better mammoners and things, but they keep coding it as she's not acting as femininely as she should.
0: Guys, do you maybe re- not realize that this is how being feminine on that on her home world might just be? And you're asking her to abandon something that she has as a core part of her identity or something? Or do you just not care?
1: That's not allowed. Yeah. (laughs) And then they give her a certain amount of unearned power based on crying. Hmm. Which is very standard. Like, this one is just explicitly stated, but women leveraging their emotions and making men feel uncomfortable with crying is supposed to be a manipulative tactic that women employ. The only reason a woman would ever cry, of course, is to manipulate a man.
0: And that's kind of bullshit. (laughs) It's one of those... It's it's one of those tropes that just won't die, and I really, really hope it does at some point.
1: It's ascribing any emotion that this person has to a manipulative motive. They don't have their own internal thoughts and experiences or emotions. They are purely exist to manipulate you or the person in the story you were supposed to be empathizing with.
0: So you can't trust them. You you know, everything they do, you have to second guess and you have to be willing to... ignore their actual signs of pain here to continue to force them into whatever box or mold you want them to be in.
1: And in this one, they make it actually physical drugging Mm -hmm. to the point where they say that they use this on the planet. And this is implied, at least, to be how the women on this planet are in charge. It's not a matriarchal society. It is a normal society, but the women have an unfair biological advantage that lets them gain power, even though they probably shouldn't, because you know they're women.
0: Uh, I wonder, you know, if in other societies, uh, you know, the you know if, if it was reversed, the the writers would have uh, any problem with it? Probably not. No, they
1: wouldn't. <laughs> if if the women. On this if it was presented the same way, like the women are violent and warlike and whatever, and the men had to drug them into docility, the problem would probably be that they were running out of drugs or something, and Kirk would have to go help them make more or teach them how to beat them into submission or whatever he's going to do
0: and that would be also be quite awful
1: but this is at least the second time we have had women have an unearned amount of power over men that's enforced in this case biologically. In the other episode, it was enforced uh, mechanically with technology. But we've had a couple of episodes where the women are in charge, and it's always like, well, they are, but only because they have this unfair advantage. Otherwise, they wouldn't be.
0: Yeah, that doesn't fit well with me. And then
1: midway through the episode, for no particular reason, she decides that she is in love with Kirk and immediately becomes completely docile, non-entity character who just stands in the background and eventually just does what she's told.
0: Well, as I'm saying, she's really into spanking. That's all. <laughs> Which is such a weird
1: turnaround, considering the entire thing that they set up in the beginning of the episode was that she was going to cry on Kirk and he was going to be under her thrall.
0: I think a better way, if you're still going to keep these basic mechanics in here, is that she doesn't cry on Kirk, but she gets so frustrated with having to deal with Kirk that she finds you know, her, herself talking to another crew member and crying on them by accident. Because she's like, yeah, Kirk's such a jerk face, but we can't have jerk uh, uh, <laughs> Kirk be explicitly called out like that. So we're stuck with this plot.
1: But Kirk is shown to be on the right. And everything he's doing, he physically abuses her and he's shown as being in the right because she's being unreasonable. So anything that he does is automatically right because he's trying to keep her from being savage and uncivilized. But we also have to remember that she is in what she has explicitly stated is an unwanted forced political marriage. She's basically being kidnapped.
0: Yeah. She's like, I'm being forced into this. I don't want to be here. So I don't feel like I should listen to any of you assholes.
1: (laughs) And any more modern take, we have had this story so many times because we are fascinated with this political marriage idea. Either it's, you know, she's not supposed to want it and then she falls in love with somebody else and they get to run off together and we see the power of true love or whatever. Or she has to like stoically accept it as a duty thing, but it's shown as wrong. This one, it's just like... a like yeah you should be doing this but now you're in love with Kirk so now you're both going to be hurt so it's okay i guess cuz Kirk's hurt
0: yeah so, so so the the pain has been shared and thus we don't have to think about the what's going actually going on here
1: well the entire story like it always is when we have a female character is centered around Kirk and how he feels about her
0: mm-hmm. cuz you know, he, now he's in love as well and he has to get through his emotions and suffer like, like and, and and maybe only have a single tear that doesn't have weird pheromones in it or whatever. But that's all we're going to get out of him, if that.
1: But he also wasn't affected by it because he's super powerful man-man who's so obsessed with duty that he is, you know, unswayed by the likes of women.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, Kirk. Why, have you, how, why haven't you been stabbed yet?
1: <laughs> he should have been stabbed. Yes, several it's times. It's very disappointing to me that he didn't get stabbed.
0: So, uh... Maybe this is a, a good good point, then, to maybe branch off to something a little bit more general that isn't necessarily just straight-up awfulness. What is etiquette?
1: Yeah, well, etiquette and manners, which they spend a lot of time talking about in this freaking thing, are 100% and extremely cultural.
0: So they, sh- but this entire episode, they're sort of trying to say that this new way she's supposed to act is the just the correct way in general as opposed to trying to intelligently sort of say okay you have a certain way of being in your own society if we're going to make this work we're going to have to show you how it is done in this other society but they just don't kind of do that at all. You know, There's a little bit of like, okay, you have a martial society, so it's all about discipline, and this is just like that. But that's not really helping at all. It's just sort of like we're trying to contrast it now with what you're used to in a weird way that doesn't work at all, especially doesn't really follow up on it. But uh, it is very much a cultural-based uh, system, and if she's she's just completely ignorant of it, you shouldn't be getting angry at her.
1: Well, her society's just wrong because you will notice it's not that she and or Kirk and the crew have to understand this other system. The other system is 100% aligned with what Kirk already believes to be etiquette. Mm-hmm. So you have the etiquette we are familiar with, which is right, and the etiquette that she is displaying, which is wrong.
0: So we have to... Uh you know, morph you into this new box here and a new way of being. And we don't have to respect anything about you to get you there.
1: Up to the point of not even respecting that she is in a leadership position.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm generally in charge of things and you are telling me what to do. What? (laughs) This is, this isn't allowed.
1: Imagine if you had a diplomatic mission to like you know boat a foreign leader to another country and you show up and they get on board and you go okay go scrub the deck now and they're like oh how could you it's like oh what you think you're in charge
0: (laughs) i would like to have at least a little respect as a passenger
1: (laughs) she doesn't deserve respect because she's shown to be domineering but as a woman
0: and we can't have that in the 60s nope but yes,
1: uh, etiquette is so incredibly cultural. Like you have to have guides to these things. There are, there are like manners and etiquette in other countries that if either of us went to another country, we'd be seen as incredibly rude for acting in a way that it was supposed to be incredibly polite here.
0: Like oh, uh, you you used the wrong fork here or you know, you're not supposed to like shake people's hand with that hand. Um sorry.
1: Yeah, don't shake people's hand. Don't touch people in this way. Don't use this hand when you're eating something. There are plenty of rules, and they vary by country because, of course, different cultures are going to have different ways that etiquettes evolve. That like etiquette and manners evolved.
0: Oh, I forget what it's from, but I remember uh, this was used as an uh, example of this sort of uh, thing. Uh, you know, one of my college classes back in the day. The uh, you know, this I forget which culture it was, but. The there's basically a white guy coming into a family that is you know like first generation American and you know the food's you know laid out and great and yeah he's been doing his best to sort of you know integrate and you know be respectful, but you know the like the mom says like oh you know the food's not all that great and you know he's like oh no it's 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 fine it you know just needs a little salt, and it's sort of a big faux pas because you know the mom was. More saying that because that's just sort of you know how she was brought up to always sort of downplay the the, the quality of the food so people will be more surprised by how good it is uh, and but to say that like oh it's great but it still needs improvement I'm gonna put the salt on it is just like well you just slap me in the face thanks <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's, it's 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 it was ignorance on his part but it is still one of those things that uh, is was part of the, you know, the, the the social tapestry that he's interacting with. And, you know, there isn't a right way or a wrong way, you know, in the general sense to, you know, you know to have one's manners, etiquette, whatever. Um, but in specific situations with, you know, with the specific people that are going to be practicing their culture as they understand it, it is you know, going to be causing uh, instances of rude and offense. And so... You know, in the in the general sense, yeah, you you can sort of make etiquette whatever you you, know, you feel like, but generally it's a good idea to when in Rome do as the Romans do, as I say.
1: Yeah, you get into a particular thing, especially like it's always been a bit of a thing, especially in America, but you get into it more in this era as we were entering more and more globalization. That everyone's fine. We're fine with you know the country of immigrants sort of thing and people from other places and we want to go get along with everyone. It's great how we can get along with everyone as long as everyone's American.
0: Yep. (laughs) Uh, Convert or you are a a, a foreign element that must be stamped out or something.
1: This was the entire sort of cultural export idea, which is something that they made a concerted effort of. They were like shipping blue jeans to Russia and... Things pretty well known schemes like that, or like culturally exporting American values was something that they were actively working on at the time, yeah Mick world so this episode is very much presenting you with here is one planet that has American values, as seen by table manners, mostly, yeah <laughs> and here is another planet that does not have American values. They have the stereotypical barbarian thing where they eat with their hands and drink out of a bottle.
0: Sometimes it's fun to drink out of the bottle.
1: And being, (laughs) you know, demanding honor to their leaders because, you know, that is another slight American thing. You're supposed to show a certain amount of respect to leadership, but you're not supposed to treat them with honor because, you know, they're basically the same as everyone else. Mm -hmm. So this idea that they're presenting is like a bunch of stereotypes that they had about like basically it's kind of the klingon thing that they do where they take a bunch of bad stereotypes about kind of middle easterny nations and just fold them of, into this
0: yeah just mix them around a bit and then uh, come out and it's like oh this is the bad people here yeah be afraid
1: not all places do eat with knives and forks and plates mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of places, like a lot of countries, it's very, very common for you to not have silverware. You eat with bread, yeah, or something and, similar.
0: You know, you sort know, of use that as you know a spoon or to absorb like a soup or something like that. And, and you got like you know, you, you know chopsticks is an option. You know, different sort of utensils in various places, uh, and or just just your hands. You know, that's fine. very <laughs>
1: fascinating. There's this uh, restaurant I love that I hope stays open. That is. Uh, nigerian and it uh you you eat with like a a sort of paste stuff it's like this bready kind of sticky paste and you like dip it in soups and things it's great Hmm. so there's all kinds of things that are just culturally acceptable in you know different places and but you have to do it our way and she's... I don't know. It's just the the fact that she's presented the entire episode is wrong. They start treating her badly the second she comes on board, and then they use her being upset at being treated badly as a justification for treating her badly.
0: You're upset about the abuse we've heaped on you, so we're going to heap more on it. Hmm. No wonder she went off to uh, sort of study this stuff. Hmm. Etiquette was all I had, really, at the end there, so... <laughs> uh, I, I guess... I, I guess I could break it down to a a little bit about, like, uh, you know, different types of manners, but uh, maybe for another time.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's enough depressing. Like, we keep just circling back to how depressingly they treated people in this episode. Mm -hmm. So I think we should maybe just move on and say it's time for the Galaxy's Favorite
0: Game Show!
1: Woo!
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. Our various contestants have been uh, racking up a few points this week. Uh, we got a few awards to hand out, so let's get to it. The first award is the Marriage's Suffering Award, which goes to Elan, as she really doesn't want to get hitched to uh, one of those soft weebs over there. It would just be the worst. Uh, so, uh, what did she win, Gepwin? <laughs> Elon wins a divorce attorney and some coupons. It's like,
1: you know, doesn't have to be permitted anymore. That was a whole thing in the 70s.
0: Elon, you can be a, uh, you know, you could forge on your own. You, know, you don't need no Trojan leadership uh, guy person to marry. You can do your own thing. It's good on you. Good luck. Our second award, our second prize, is the TV Love Story uh, uh, Prize, which goes to Kirk and the Enterprise, because their love affair will continue onward always, despite the temptations of alien lady tears and whatever bizarre mechanics of the week that show up this week. What do they win, Gepwin? They win
1: one of those good old rom com setups. You know, one's, one's the captain, one's an emotionless alien, and one's a several million ton spaceship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're coming next week on TBS. <laughs> Our third uh, prize is the Gauled Style Award, which goes to the Lesians as a as a group for their glamorous ways, while being just kind of a little bit of uh, control freaks. But so is everybody else on this show, really. And also the whole bi- uh, biological mind influencing thing. Um, yeah, what do they win, Gepwin?
1: They win something to give everyone else, which is some dang biology textbooks, because like. This is just how this species mating works. Stop moralizing the way other species, you know, procreate.
0: Yeah, this is just how they go, guys. You, you, you should be used to weird aliens by this point. Why is this so hard to understand? Our final one of the week is the Incompetent Guest Star Prize, which goes to Ambassador Petri for basically being the worst sort of ambassador we've run into on this show so far, which is kind of saying something. Yeah, this dude's so bad at his job, he gets himself stabbed. What does he win, Gepwin?
1: Petri gets to have a nice post as our United States ambassador to the UN, because seems like that kind of
0: guy. Probably do better than some of our uh, recent ones. Ooh. Take it away, Gepwin. I'm running out of Steve. All
1: right, thank you for the contestants. Thank you for all of the prizes. And thank you for joining us on the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show! Woo-hoo! So next week. Yeah, I've not heard of this. Next week is an episode called Whom Gods Destroy.
0: I remember bits and pieces of this one. And I don't remember what all happens, but there's somebody with antenna in it. So you know. this
1: is this is like the fourth yeah. episode in a row where I've seen this little thing on the Wikipedia page that says not aired on the BBC because of sadistic plot elements. Oh, no. And a risque dance performance.
0: Oh. I'm seeing a green lady in the uh, thing here.
1: Great. Oh, no. Oh, no. Arrives on a planet that is home to a Federation facility for the criminally insane.
0: So, uh, we're going to talk about asylums again, aren't we?
1: Yeah, great. Oh, Orion female. One of the inmates is an Orion female. Right. Oh,
0: th- yeah. <laughs> so that's going to be a thing.
1: Played by an American ballet ballet dancer.
0: Oh, at least they know how to dance.
1: Oh, best known for her role as Batgirl in 1960s television series. Oh nice. It's Batgirl.
0: Batgirl. Batgirl
1: yeah. gets to do a risque dance in green makeup.
0: But not in the bat at, uh, girl outfit. Anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah, this seems to be some sort of inmates have taken over the asylum situation.
0: Oh that That could let us talk about uh, capitalism in the modern uh, uh, era again.
1: Yay. (laughs) Because
0: that's how it feels right now.
1: (laughs) Always a crowd pleaser.
0: (laughs) Oh Well, so uh, I guess we got that one to look forward to for next week. Um,
1: Yep. So you all get to see what we have to say about another episode, about another asylum for the criminally insane. Next week on Watchers of Tomorrow.
0: Next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Kirk is back in the slammer. Hooray! You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbeam, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps... Many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on YouTube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izix on YouTube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by D-R-K-R-N. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from Transporter Syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the Transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists.